the sermon text is from Mark 1, verses 40 through 45, as we continue preaching through the gospel of Mark. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town but was in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wonder how many of you are a little bit like me and can't watch medical TV shows with your spouse. Because the details of health care and injuries make you feel like you need to cringe or feel woozy. I know I'm not alone. Uh, it also makes me thankful for all of you who work in healthcare um, because I know I couldn't do it. The Bible is full of stories, though, of human suffering. But rarely do they affect me in the same way. I think many times we don't often react to the stories in the Bible like they represent real stories with real people. And so we often don't feel their heaviness. The first chapter of Mark has recorded now countless healings of various diseases, casting out demons. But Mark slows down to describe the healing of this leper. Because, actually, in his day, of all of our Lord's miracles, perhaps none was more marvelous than those Christ performed on the lepers. Leprosy in the ancient world was an object of terror. It would probably be something like our reaction to a combination of cancer and AIDS. Leprosy was a fate everyone was vulnerable to, and they didn't quite understand why. But it was highly contagious. And none of us want to feel that kind of vulnerability. It's one of the reasons many of us are uncomfortable in hospitals or nursing homes. They remind us of our frailty. Or when we hear about someone or their child who's developed a health issue, we often Google the cause of it. So we can figure out what we need to do to avoid it. So we can feel like it won't happen to us. Or if we hear about a marriage that's collapsed or a child that's left the faith, we try and figure out what's wrong in their theology. What made this happen? Where did they send them to school? What made their church so bad? Maybe one of these things can explain it. Because we don't want to feel vulnerable to these realities. But our story from the Gospel of Mark today reminds you, you are vulnerable the security we often live with is an illusion. 
and it shows us our only hope is the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we will focus on the real details of this real story so you can leave with real hope. As we tell the story, we will consider why of all the healings would this have been so powerful? Second, we will think about what's the reason for the story? Why does Jesus discuss the Mosaic law in the middle of it? And finally, why is the ending so strange, so unusual? First, the story begins in verses 40 through 42. It tells us of the leper's cleansing. Early in Jesus' ministry, he's a traveling preacher. And wherever he goes, crowds fill up to touch him, to be healed. And in the midst of all these masses, Mark highlights one man who approaches Jesus, this leper. And like the first line of any great story, this is meant to pull you in. Because this is not just a person in need of healing coming to Jesus. This is a leper, and everyone knew lepers do not approach anyone. The Jewish tradition is full of discussion like this. There were 72 different kinds of skin afflictions that counted as leprosy. And because of the wide-ranging diseases covered, it was considered nearly always an epidemic in Israel. And so any person who developed any rash, any itch, any skin injury or disfigurement worried, what if this develops into leprosy? Many ancient writers described these people as the living dead. Like a corpse, they were rotting, they were unclean. But worse than a corpse, they had to feel the effects of death as a living person. And so many superstitions developed around the disease. Some attributed the disease to the work of demons. Some thought maybe God is judging them for something particularly bad they did. But everyone knew they were unclean, and everything they touched became uncleaned. And so they were always viewed as a threat to any group of people. The Mosaic Law is what declared them ritually unclean, meaning they could not enter God's presence. They could not worship him in the temple. So, because lepers were viewed this way and they were a threat to purity, no serious religious teacher would have ever allowed a leper into their presence. In fact, according to the law, a leper had one primary job after they developed leprosy. It said those who suffer from leprosy must tear their clothes, leave their hair unkept, disfigure themselves. They must cover their mouths and call out, unclean, unclean. The primary vocation of a leper in that day was to keep everyone as far from them as they could. Make sure everyone knew how unclean they were. They lived a life defined by their disease. And this is what they had to do until it resolved or they died. And this is why this line would grab any ancient Jew's attention. A leper approached Jesus. Certainly the man had heard of Jesus' many miracles. And he was convinced, he can help me if I beg him. Maybe he will help me. Maybe he will make me whole. Maybe I can go home. And again, hear his words from our reading. If you will, you can make me clean. Do you hear that? 
The leper has no doubt in his mind Jesus can do this. It's if he's willing. The question on the leper's mind is, would Jesus ever help someone like me? And we, with 2,000 years of understanding, think, well, Jesus was a nice guy. Of course he would help. But the people reading this knew their Old Testaments better than we do. They know that God judged Miriam with leprosy, and they know the most famous story of leprosy in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings 5, if you want to go read it later. 2 Kings 5. It's the story of Naaman. He's a Gentile, an outsider to Israel, and he's a powerful general, but he has one problem. He's stricken with leprosy. So he can't enter his own king's court. He learned in Israel there was a prophet named Elisha, the greatest miracle worker in their history. And so, knowing the king of Israel, he said, I will ask the king of Israel a favor, and maybe he'll get his miracle worker to help me. But listen how the king of Israel responds, even knowing Elisha's power. The king hears Naaman's request and says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? The king knew asking for this was absurd. He might as well ask him to raise the dead. He might as well ask him to be God. So, for Jesus, this would have been a reasonable response in their mind. Or maybe Jesus could have responded like the prophet Elisha if he was a great miracle worker. First of all, if you'll, you'll notice in the story, Elisha never lets the leper into his presence because the man is unclean. Second, Elisha tells him to go wash in the river seven times, hoping God would heal his leprosy and forgive his sin. But Jesus doesn't respond like that either. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Jesus shows compassion. Jesus touches the man. Jesus touches an unclean leper. And what happens? Because Jesus is just as powerful as he is willing, the man is made clean. This is a power completely beyond what they have understood. Because everyone else throughout all of history, if you touched something unclean, you became unclean. But not Jesus. When Jesus touches something unclean, he doesn't become unclean, it becomes clean. Jesus, by an expression of his will, can restore health. He has all authority. And this isn't just good news for lepers. This is good news for you. Because today, wherever this compassionate Savior meets a longing sinner, complete and instantaneous healing occurs. But instead, much of the time, we spend our time trying to hide our uncleanness hide our vulnerabilities. We would rather keep to ourselves anything that makes us look weak. We blame our faults on others. We do not discuss our sin, our struggles with anyone. We keep them like secrets. Perhaps if you're a Christian, you're willing to admit, yes, of course I'm a sinner, but would never specifically say how you sin. And this is all covering up the truth, unclean, unclean. We are unclean. This word comes up over and over again in these verses. It's interesting. 
because it's the first time in Jesus's ministry it has come up. Because while you were healed of most diseases in the ancient world, you had to be cleansed of leprosy. So this miracle is here to teach us Jesus has the power to make the unclean clean. And just like a leper, your only hope is Jesus Christ and his compassion. Again, it's hard to accept if you take it seriously because it makes you completely vulnerable. Your hope for any good and your eternal life relies on the compassion of Jesus Christ and you can't do anything to change that. Clean and unclean in the Bible are primarily spiritual realities. These aren't primarily things dealing with medicine or hygiene. Leprosy was the trauma of sin lived out in a person before our eyes. This is why they lived in isolation. Sin isolates. They could not be in fellowship with the people of God and had to live outside of his presence. There was no known cure. No one knew exactly where the disease came from. And so everyone could have it, just like sin. In fact, Jesus, later in Mark's gospel, uh, we will eventually get to Mark 7, teaches us the true source of uncleanliness. This is what Jesus said. It is what comes from inside your heart that defiles you and makes you unclean. From a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. So the source of your and my uncleanliness is your sinful heart, not your skin. So trying to manage our sin, trying to keep it under control, trying to keep it from affecting others, doesn't make you clean. We today don't think in terms of uncleanliness and cleanliness usually. However, we do when we use this phrase. We call some things dirty secrets. So then the question is this. What parts of your life story make you feel dirty? What do you know about yourself that could ruin your own reputation? What have you done that you're afraid to say out loud? Are there parts of your family story you try to hide? The feeling you're getting as I speak is what it means to be unclean. And there is only one thing that can change that. The love of Jesus Christ can give you a clean heart. Our hope for all eternity relies on Jesus being compassionate. And this is why this story was so powerful to them. Because it was the good news that Jesus was so loving and so powerful, he would make clean any sinner who came to them. So this is the question for you. What uncleanliness do you need to bring to the Lord Jesus to see his power and love make you whole? Now, we do have a lot of baptisms. This could have been a good place to end the sermon. But oddly enough, Mark's story has two more scenes in it. Now we have a cleansed leper and a powerful savior. And the text says, immediately following this, Jesus gives him some stern instructions. Literally, it says, Jesus growled at him. Kids, you know what this is like when your dad or mom growls instructions at you. He gives him two instructions. He says, say nothing 
about this to anyone and present yourself before the Mosaic Law. These instructions will help us understand the purpose of the miracle. You see, Jesus' ministry is very concerned about holiness and obedience. This is, again, not something we often associate with love and salvation. Like all miracles, this one is written down for us because it has a message. It demonstrates for us Jesus' relationship to the law. First, it shows us Jesus' saving work is not opposed to the law. Most of us tend towards a pretty negative view of the law. We see the law as something that's opposed to liberty. We see it as what keeps us from doing what we want to do. And we typically think of love as the exact opposite of law and obligation. But it's a mistake to think this way. Jesus wasn't opposed to the law. I mean, after all, the first thing Jesus commanded a renewed person to do is obey the law. Mark makes this point early in his gospel because for the rest of Jesus Christ's ministry, all the religious leaders are going to accuse him of breaking the law again and again. They're going to say he's a blasphemer. He keeps company with sinners. He doesn't fast. He breaks the Sabbath. But this miracle in Jesus' instruction shows he works along the lines of the law. Jesus agreed with the law, and the law will always agree with Jesus. The second thing we learn about the law from these verses is that he says it will be a testimony to them. The law will testify to Jesus. Think about it. If the man goes and is declared clean by the priests, it will be a testimony to Jesus' power. The law will validate Jesus really made him clean, proving Jesus can make the unclean clean. The law regarding leprosy in that day was very well known because of, as I mentioned, the prevalence of the disease in Israel. Leviticus 13 and 14 are 116 verses about leprosy. You are probably grateful that wasn't our Old Testament reading today. However, in the ancient world, Leviticus was probably the most studied and considered book of all the Old Testament books because it gave them clear and specific instructions for their life and their worship before a holy God. I'll summarize chapter 13 and 14 for you. The majority of chapter 13 covered how a priest would go about diagnosing leprosy. The regulations describe in somewhat graphic detail what would make a person or item of clothing, or building unclean from leprosy. It goes into uncomfortable detail, describing the kinds of physical signs to look for, such as skin change, um, hair color change, um, ulcers, infiltration, infection of the skin. Then chapter 14 covers elaborate rituals the priest must do if the person's leprosy is healed so they can be clean again. These examinations and sacrifices are what Jesus is telling the leper to go submit to. If declared clean, they would offer a sacrifice of sin and thanksgiving for their cleansing. Then they would have to go and wait another seven days and come now to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Because in the law, no one is ever made clean without a sacrifice. Again, sometimes we think of Leviticus as some kind of outdated ancient OSHA guidelines for health. No, these requirements existed to teach them how to live before a holy God. But there's a really glaring omission in chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus. 
None of these verses tell you how you can be healed of leprosy. None of these verses offer something a priest can do that will make you better. This made priests in Israel very different than the priests of the other religions. They always promised secret knowledge, special power to cure. But God gave his priests no curing ritual. They could tell you, the law could tell you if you were clean or unclean, but it had no power to cure you. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came with that power. Jesus not only perfectly obeyed the law, but had the power to create the purity required to enter God's presence. So while the leper was declared, when the leper would be declared clean by the law, it will only testify that Jesus is the one who's come to make Israel clean. And so we must be very clear about the role of the law in the Christian life. First, it is Jesus Christ, not the law, that makes you right with God. Trying to obey the Ten Commandments, going to church, being a good Wisconsin neighbor, trying to be better than most people will not make you right with God. Romans 8.2 tells us this, that God has done what the law could not do. The Christian lives under no condemnation, not because of what they've done, but what, because of what Christ has done for you. The law then can show you your sin and your failure. It can diagnose your guilt. That's its first role. Second, the law does give us, though, a picture of what a holy and obedient life would look like. The problem is, it gives you no ability to accomplish it. That is what Jesus' power can do. Jesus can, in your life, produce the holiness and obedience the law describes. He will give you the motivation, the power, the grace to begin obeying God. And this is what Romans 8 goes on to say, that God sent his Son in the flesh to fulfill the requirements of the law so we could walk in his spirit and submit to him. That's the work of the Spirit. Jesus can work this way today for you and begin to transform you. And your transformed Christian life will be a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. This scene, like the first scene, shows us the power of Jesus. Jesus has the power and love to cleanse you and it will transform your life, I promise. But that brings us to the strange end of this story. The leper leaves Jesus and directly disobeys the commandment he gave him. Jesus told him to be silent, and he began talking. And apparently, this kind of spreading of this news about Jesus prevented Jesus from having the kind of ministry he wanted. So the story ends with Jesus losing his opportunity for public ministry, and people now have to find him where he's laying low in desolate places. What an, what an ending. Well, it's here to show you the depth of Jesus' love for you. Because being the Savior that Jesus is will cost him everything. Jesus commanded a leper into silence. Obviously, he is not doing these things for fame or building a bigger following. He's not looking for a platform. He's not looking for fame and money. So every person Jesus helps is out of a genuine love. Jesus isn't trying to impress. He's coming to serve sacrificially. But Jesus knew what would happen if this miracle spread. 
The fervor to find him, the fervor for miracles would become so extreme he wouldn't be able to teach in public anymore. No one would understand the important work he had to do. No one would understand how much it would cost him. The people of that day quite obviously loved Jesus, their miracle worker. Who wouldn't? But Jesus came to save them, not give them what they wanted. They wanted a miracle worker, and he came to be a savior with a cross. If the man's testimony only caused people to yearn for miracles, they would misunderstand what Jesus Christ came to do. And you know what? Jesus cleansed the leper anyway, knowing he would disobey him, knowing what would happen. And so he healed him and then rebuked him before he ever disobeyed. You see, Jesus had nothing to gain from this cleansing. When Jesus saves us, he gets nothing he doesn't have already. We will never pay Jesus Christ back for what he's done for us. It's compassion all the way down. And in fact, everyone who loves and trusts Jesus will disobey him again. And you know what? Jesus will forgive you again because his love is deeper still. And this love will cost Jesus everything. To cleanse one leper, Jesus must end his public ministry. Jesus ends in lonely and desolate places. It's interesting. He and the leper have changed places by the end of the story. The leper, kept outside of the community, is now restored and is talking to everyone. And it is Jesus who can no longer go out in public. Because Jesus will not save by healing or by gathering a crowd or even getting his message out successfully. Jesus will save by dying, by changing places with sinners and getting what they deserve. No sinner just goes free. There is no forgive or forget. That's what the law says. Nothing is made clean without a sacrifice. No one is clean enough to enter God's presence apart from the shedding of blood. Something has to die if a sinner will live. And Jesus came to take all of your uncleanliness and all of your sin to the grave so it will have no power over you anymore. Jesus' death on the cross shows how deep his love runs for you. He is more willing to touch you. He is more willing than to just touch you. He will die for you, tortured, naked, and ashamed. He is willing to trade places with you like he traded places with a leper. It takes incredible love to trade places with a leper, doesn't it? Everyone else avoids them. This is actually why later in history, leper colonies were invented. Because for most people, our greatest desire is to stay away from that kind of contagious suffering. Keep it away from me. In fact, America had leper colonies at one point too. The most famous one in our history was in Hawaii. In 1873, the king of Hawaii established a leper colony for those with what we now call Hansen's disease. This village was the mandated settlement on a peninsula of one of the outer Hawaiian islands for anyone with incurable, at that time, leprosy. This was the government's plan to keep this bacterial infection from spreading across every island in Hawaii. 
At its peak, more than 1,200 men, women, and children lived in this leper colony, which is a lot of people since people were dying there every day. Life in Hawaii was already very difficult. The islands at that point were underdeveloped. There was a labor shortage. And because of the trade coming from both the west and the east, they were racked by smallpox, cholera, whooping cough, the flu, and leprosy all at the same time. However, at that time, the Catholic Church began sending priests to establish churches there to serve the needs of the people. The main bishop on the island knew of the leper colony. He wanted to send a priest there to help them, but knowing the risk, he refused to give any priest the command to go there. But as news about that community and its incredible needs spread, four volunteers came forward to go. The first volunteer's name was Father Damien, and he never left the leper colony. There, he established a small church for the 600 lepers who lived there at the time. He served as their doctor. He served as their main contractor, helping them build homes. And every day, most days at least, he helped them dig graves. Father Damien's message to them was very attractive. He told them over and over in his sermons, no matter what the outside world thinks of you, you are precious in God's sight. And 11 years, I'm sorry, 11 years after living there, Father Damien contracted leprosy. He wrote to his brother in Belgium when he learned the news and said, I will make myself a leper that the lepers may gain Jesus Christ. And there the man worked until he could no longer. When his arm was dead in a sling, one foot was unusable, bandaged, and the other leg walked with a limp. There he died as a leper. What's amazing, though, is what happened after his death. He was criticized. And the criticism of him was so widespread, the famous author, Robert Louis Stevenson, wrote a short book defending the life of Father Damien. They said his death was his own fault. He was careless. They said he only went there as an opportunist to form a colony to gain. Stevenson's defense goes something like this. How could have this priest been motivated by selfish gain if he was willing to just die as a leper? He's right. It cost him everything. And Jesus Christ's compassion for you, for you, costs him everything. In fact, it's Jesus' love that inspired Father Damien. Jesus, in all his glory and purity, stepped down into our ugly world. He came into the stench of sin because he can make it clean. He can bring love and forgiveness. And his love and his suffering for you is your only hope. So today, whether you are unclean because of the secrets you have, or because you still disobey the Savior you love, you only have one hope. It's Christ's love for you. And the good news is this, that today, wherever your repentance and the love of Jesus meet, you will find complete and instantaneous cleansing. Amen. Let's pray.
Thank you, God, for showing us our misery, for proving us to be miserable sinners. May you convince us of our uncleanness so that we will come before you, so we will fall into the arms of our loving Savior and be made clean. Meet us now, make us clean. In Jesus' name, amen.